Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 138, and we are thrilled, or at least I am thrilled. We'll see how Jason feels about it, to have Jason back in the co-pilot seat for the Sunday edition of the podcast, episode number 138. Jason, how are you doing today? Uh, beat up from the, the move. I had to set up the trampoline three times today because I, I my attention to detail was pretty much poor and uh, set it up the first time realized i'd forgotten to step and set up second time realized i'd set it up wrong so three times with that and everything else i'm a little beat i'm a little pissed the way some of my uh local home leagues have gone this week due to the trades but other than that i'm okay yourself uh i i appreciate you asking i'm okay uh, i feel a little well rested after a rather lengthy and unexpected nap earlier today and uh, I'm excited to talk about some things baseball. I'm even more excited to hear you rant nonstop about uh, your troubles in your in your home leagues. And I can't wait to get to that. And I think there's no better way to get into those things first than by first talking about, obviously, some of the big trade news that happened over the weekend and perhaps some of the fallout from it. Uh, I'm going to start with the Oakland trade. Who... Uh, the, the A's have acquired Jeff Samarja, Jason Hamill. We know that's a, a big deal. Obviously, uh, Cubs getting Addison Russell. That's that's the centerpiece of this deal. But Billy, Billy McKinney, also a very big piece of that. Dan Straley, mm-hmm. a very interesting pitcher. Um, how do you First of all, what, what do you even say about Samarja and Hamill? I mean, obviously, these guys have pitched well. Uh, we, we've talked about their reasons for success on this show one time or another. And, uh, I mean, it's... I. If you're going to go from a National League team to an American League team, you have to think that this is one of the better places to land. Uh, but what uh, anything else that strikes you about these, it says, hey, I mean, I'm, I am um, primarily concerned that the you know, numbers for Zamarja would be a little more prone to kind of uh, regress negatively to begin with. But and I'm starting to think that maybe that's not necessarily the case uh, because I think, I mean, I think Oakland's a great spot for him to land in, and I don't think that it's going to be too... Uh, too big a deal for him, especially because home runs in the past were probably a bigger problem for him, and they haven't been this year. So now he lands mm-hmm. in a spot where that's not necessarily even going to be a, a big a big deal. Right. I mean, I, I I love from a baseball perspective. I love the trade for Oakland. You know, they're already in first place. This is something that you know could they have won their division without making this trade? Yes. Could they go deep in the playoffs without making this trade? No. I mean, you can't have Tommy Malone and his splits fail going for you. And the thing about Brad Mills, he is literally a replacement player. Yeah. That's how long he's been in the league, and he is, he's been pitching. So to make this trade, we all knew Samarja was going to be traded at some point. The Hamill one was uh, that the fact that the two went together in the same trade, I think that's a surprising thing because we knew that Hamill was going to be traded at some point. He was on a one-year deal pitching some great baseball like with the new with the way he's using his two-seamer and everything. Everything's looked really good for him this year, uh, coming back off the uh, the up-and-down year last season for him. So I like I really like the trade for these guys for their fantasy value. They should be very good plays, uh, AL-only plays. Uh, for the, those of you guys are in single leagues, obviously their mixed value is not going to change. But if you're an AL guy, that these guys are coming into your free agent pool, uh, you know, obviously bid aggressively. I can tell you that I've, 
pretty much throwing down most of my remaining fab budget and tout wars tonight uh, on either one of these guys. I don't need the pitching, but if I can get one of these guys and then flip him for the bat that I really need, I'm going to go ahead and do that. Now, I'm not going to wait around for the bat because this kind of thing happened last year in talent. Well, my offense was hurting. I was waiting for a bat, and I forgot the biggest guy that came over. I ended up getting him, but it didn't do a damn thing for me. So if I can get a pitcher with this money, I'll go ahead and buy that pitcher and then flip one of my other guys to get the bat that I want and get and get that impact. I can get that guy... If I if I win that bid, I could go ahead and trade him this week, you know, heading into the All Star break. So coming out of that, I get him for the entire second half, you know, quote unquote, the final what sixty five games of the season, maybe, uh, rather than waiting around for somebody who may or may not come until the end of the month, and then you've got eight scoring periods instead of ten or eleven. Yeah, I think your exact approach. I mean, it, it highlights kind of that. Uh... That philosophy of do you you know do you hold your fab or do you spend it uh, as soon as you get an opportunity etc. Uh, uh, does it depend on your needs? And I think that that's, that's to me it's kind of a right approach. I mean, it, there's certainly a possibility. For instance, that when we've seen names such as Chase Headley, Aaron Hill, and Martin Prado, their names come up. But uh, if, 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 if yeah, if you're <laughs> a you're yawning and b if you're if you wait on that kind of thing, I mean, there are just there are a lot of teams that may be interested in these players, and you may have this expectation that somebody's going to land somewhere and it doesn't happen. And then you've just kind of, I mean, you bid on some certainty. I mean, I think I, I would, I would bid extremely confidently on some margin. I think that there's, uh, I, I think that there's room for correction in Hamble's numbers in, in a number of ways. Um, I'm, and I'm a little concerned. We talked about the fact that he's throwing, he's just, he's kind of like uh, chucking caution a little. Uh, he's, he's kind of cast that aside in a sense that he's throwing uh, more sliders this year. And it's, I mean, it's it, right. it, that's a great pitch for him. So, but I mean, he's it, it's not that's not to take away. I mean, the rest of his stuff has has been pretty good as well. I mean, obviously he's he's done quite well. I would be a little more concerned with uh, with some kind of correction for him or some kind of health thing pop up. Samarja, I mean, even if there's some give back in both of these guys' numbers, Samarja's I'm much more confident in being being valuable. I would bid like heck with him, but I, I mean, it doesn't mean I would ex, I would exclude or dismiss or anything like that. Right. I mean, Hamill's never, Hamill's never thrown 180 innings in a season, and he's right. already at 108 here. Um, so if we're looking at, okay, if, if that's, where he, that's where he's been at, that gives him, what, 72 more innings here uh, over another 12 starts possibly for him. Uh, I mean, to me, this, this looks like a guy who knows he's on this one-year deal and is, is doing what he can to get his payday now. I mean, mm-hmm. he is... He is, uh, he'll be 32 years old here um, in early September. So this is his last chance at a good payday. He doesn't want another one-year deal. That's what he's on now because that's, that's what the open market said. But he's certainly pitched well enough so far for him to get a multi-year deal. I mean, we're talking in a single-league format, he's been the sixth most valuable pitcher in an NL-only league. Uh, he's been worth $21. I'm looking at my uh, my home league's a 10-team NL league. He's been worth $21 in a 10-team NL five by five league yeah and i mean it's i I think i think what you're looking i mean it's these are two pitchers we know that are um i mean they're they're in the midst of kind of career career type seasons uh, obviously Uh, i mean it's uh they couldn't have ended up in in much better environments if they're going to switch leagues i mean it's just these are guys like i think what's going to be interesting about this is on the other side um we've talked about dan straley's struggles a little bit uh, at times on here and Straley is um, 
I mean, he has not pitched well in the minors. There's always a possibility. I mean, there there are a number of possibilities that we kind of haven't really gotten into and don't think uh, uh, we can really touch on too much. It, it's going to be hard to say what, what Straley's issues are, I guess, but um, – it's not going to be pretty. Yeah. It, to me, honestly, I don't like it. I don't like it at all for Straley. I mean, he's to me, this is just an arm that gives him some flexibility and gives him somebody to work some innings. But this guy can't keep the ball in the ballpark, and he couldn't keep the ballpark in Oakland. Now you're going to Chicago? <laughs> no thanks. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think that there's uh, there's a lot to be said for his uh, his kind of his com- uh, command numbers. I think that I mean, it's, it's a track. I, I'm not going to. I'm certainly not going to dismiss it. I think that there's a, there's a similar type of, of you know eventual evolution here possible that that the Cubs have been able to work with a number of other pitchers and the change of scenery thing might might be good for him. Um, but I think that I mean it just it didn't seem um, this this season kind of steadily went downhill for Australia and seemed like a lost one. And maybe he gets a call up later in the season and, and does okay. But I think I think fantasy owners would kind of have to look at this as maybe it's a next season kind of thing. And, and does he do something to work on keeping the ball in the bar, ballpark, which is going to be ne- much more necessary in Chicago. The, the, the interesting part of this is the acquisition of Russell, which undeniably is a, a great move. I mean, mm-hmm. you're talking about one of the best position prospects in baseball. Um, now you're talking about uh, Alcantara, uh, Baez, um, I'm missing someone. Oh, well, Chris Bryant at third base, which they've talked about Baez possibly, I guess, moving to second or third. Uh, and then I guess maybe Bryant can move to the outfield. Ultimately, I mean, they have too many uh, middle infielders. Um, and I mean, I think this this pages away, I guess, for a potential Starling Castro trade is kind of the way I, th- I looked at it. And this is assuming that, I mean, he doesn't seem to be quite the same kind of fit, same type, uh, you know, the, the kind of player that Theo Epstein and, and his crew really like to build around. But uh, this kind of rebound, as far as his pr- production has gone this season, you know, maybe, maybe just like I said, kind of paves the way for that. But obviously, we also know that the prospects, none of them, are by any means guaranteed to to, to hit. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see to just think uh, how this um, this middle infield situation shakes out in Chicago. How many guys they can move around or move into the outfield. Uh, and the other thing with Russell. He's missed most of the season. He had a leg issue. He's missed a good portion of the season. He's only had 57 plate. Um, I'm sorry, uh, 75 plate appearances this season. So he's missed a chunk of time. Last year, you look at his numbers across the different ballparks. Yes, the A's prospects, some of them play, some of the parks are in really good situations. 17 bombs, 21 stolen bases. I mean, there's a reason why this kid. Uh, I think Keith Law had him as his third best prospect in, in his latest update. Sometimes we look at these things, and you know, sometimes the fantasy prospects don't equal the baseball prospects. Sometimes these baseball, they're better baseball players than they are fantasy players. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's the case here with with Russell. I still think if we were doing a top a top twenty five fantasy prospects, this kid would be on it. I mean, he's a nice kid. Eno and I had a chance to chat with him. Uh, over the Arizona Fall League this past year. He's still just 20 years old. Um, so this is a, a very nice score for him. There were rumors that they had um, that uh, the A's had offered him to Tampa Bay for David Price, and the Rays said, no thanks. Uh, I would have said, yes, please, if I, if I were running the team, uh, if that was part of the package it, that, that could have been available for that. And I think some of this uh, hot play by Tampa Bay – uh, right now may be uh, skewing that a little bit. But I think this was a very good ad. By it, it, It's a win-win for both teams. It's a win for Oakland. Uh, it's a win for Chicago. It's a loss for Jason, though. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds that way, yes. We'll, we'll be getting to that. 
I want you to, you know, cool your shorts, cool your jets, whatever the phrase is. I mean, I want you to, I'm hoping that you have been able to kind of siphon and uh, if you can really focus some of your anger into energy and channeling this into really constructive talk that ends up being a total rant anyway. It's going to be, <laughs> I know how it's going to end up. I have a feeling anyway. And I don't even know you that well, but uh, I, I'm, I'm confident based on your reaction and, and how ridiculous it does sound, This uh, your leash rules. I mean, I, I to be honest, I didn't think really too many leagues did that kind of thing anymore. But uh, I'm going to be interested to see how, um, how this goes. I, I mean, it, it's... It's it's going to be it's going to be an interesting rant to say the least. But uh, w- w- wanted to touch on real quick too, uh, Carlos Villa- Villanueva. That's whatever we're we've we've been around the game long enough to know about him. But the, the Cubs are calling up uh, Tsuyoshi Wada uh, to take the ro- one of the, one of these two players as rotations players rotation spots. And I mean he has he has yet to make his major league debut. It's a former Orioles uh, signing from Asia. And uh, has put up some pretty good numbers at the AAA level. I mean, he's not, but you know, he's not a prospect or anything like that. He's 33 years old, um, but I, I mean, I think that there's legitimate and a lonely interest here, simply because I mean, he's kind of steadily gotten better, um, and health has been a problem for him uh, before when the Orioles signed him. I mean, uh, that's he basically didn't pitch in 2012 and 2013. Has had made his way back and put up like a four, a four ERA uh, at the AAA level last season and Orioles never really had a need and uh, we're, happy, uh, we're, we're not sad to see him go. But now the Cubs have <clears throat> brought him along. He has a, a mm-hmm. strikeout rate of 25% and a walk rate of just 6% uh, at the AAA level this year. Uh, just has, has put up some really nice numbers. And uh, I mean, I, I think that there's there, there could be some legitimate you know, only interest simply because it's an, it's, an NL only, uh, you know, in an NL only league, somebody might play like this and uh, be interested to see. I don't really know much about him, but uh, um, if you know anything about him, I would be more than happy to hear you say some more about that because I think it's. <laughs> I, I mean, he's done well. To, if you look down to what he's done in AAA this year, more than a strikeout, you know, a nine point three strikeout per nine. Walks were were low, two point three. Home run rate was good. All the AAA numbers are good, but that's what you should see from a guy with experience. I mean, as you say, he's 33 years old, so he does have some experience. It's been—I've only seen him pitch one time myself. He just—he's going to be one of these fringy guys. I—I I, I don't feel he's a mixed league option at all. I, I, I think this is somebody. If you're in, in a, a 10 to 12 team NL league, there's a chance uh, you know take him because he should with two spots freed up in the rotation, he should be getting one of them, and it should just be his the rest of the way. Yeah. I mean, I don't think uh, this guy is not going to be, yeah, he's not going to be difference maker or anything like that. But he's, I think he's intriguing because uh, he doesn't throw hard, but just, um, I know that Carson Stooley did, uh, he included him in his French fry prospects in, in the sense that he's, you know, he's a guy who's, who's outside the realm of prospects and is, he's got a lot of deception, I think, working for him. He throws a pretty good changeup. And, and these pitchers, I mean, you know, you just kind of never know. Again, we haven't seen him in the uh, in the majors, and so there's you may have an advantage just because of that. He is a veteran, um, and uh, I mean he's gonna, he's going to get an opportunity. They really don't have a lot of depth as far as their uh, pitching goes in the minor leagues or anywhere really. I mean, so it's 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 going to be an opportunity that'll have. Uh, <laughs> who knows? He may pitch well for a month, and they could trade him too. <laughs> Okay, mm-hmm. really. but I mean, I think it's he's just he's a player to watch. I think at least in the deepest of leagues. 
Well, I tell you what, I picked him up for Jason Hamill. <laughs> <laughs> and that sounds like a great move. I think he'll easily replace that production. Yeah. <laughs> but before we get into but before we get into that, I would like to talk just a little bit. Also, the the Yankees made a trade. They traded for Brandon McCarthy. Now, um, a uh, CC Sabathia is is pretty much unlikely to return this season. Uh, I think it wasn't necessarily headed that way until probably in the last week or so. But then there was the question of does he need microfracture knee surgery? This question mm-hmm. has come up, and so they they clearly have some holes. This is. Considering that they gave up Vidal Nuno to get McCarthy, this is kind of a last-ditch effort, I think, to be relevant uh, to the playoff race to the season. And there's, serious, there's some hope for some serious correction in the numbers for McCarthy. Uh, we talked about, I mean, I, I love the guy. I mean, you think all the numbers, all the indicators, the FIP, XFIP, SIE, they, they all say this guy should have an ERA much closer to three than to five, and that has not been the case. The question is... Um, in a move to the Yankees, is there really any reason to think that it's going to get any better there? I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, here I saw I saw a few th- people going different directions on Twitter today, uh, saying you know he's got a he's got a high ground ball rate, fifty six percent, so that should help keep the ball in Yankee Stadium. That hasn't you know, helped maybe. him yet this year. <laughs> yeah, but he's got a tremendous home run problem as it is. That'll probably come down. So fine, I'll give you that. But if he's a high ground ball rate pitcher on a terrible infield, Brian yeah. Roberts and Derek Jeter are terrible up the middle. Uh, and Kelly Johnson is not good at third base. And even uh, Mark Teixeira at first base isn't big good. You look at defensive runs saved this year, they're dead last in the league on the infield. So I don't know how this works out. Uh, I don't. Yeah. I don't see any change in his value. His fantasy value is pretty crappy as it was because he wasn't getting wins. And you know, is he going to get wins on a team that's five hundred as it is now with the Yankees? Maybe they're one game over. I don't know what they did today, but you know, they they were forty three and forty three coming in three and a half games out of first as Baltimore leads this division, despite the fact that. Only Chris Davis, as bad of a year as Chris Davis is having, he still has the highest OPS on that Baltimore infield. I have no idea how Baltimore is 48 and 40 right now because most of their pitching staff has ERAs over four. Most of their infield can't hit. Yeah, they've got Jones and they've got Cruz doing well, and Steve Pierce has found the the fountain of youth and is crushing the baseball. But for the most part, you look at this, and somebody has to win the AL East by default, but this is not the AL beast that we've grown accustomed to for the last 20 years. It's a pretty terrible division this year. Yeah, that is true. Um, I mean, it certainly certainly can't be – I mean, I wouldn't say it's as bad as – the NL West in the sense that like the, the no, rest of, the, rest of the, I mean, the Dodgers and the Giants are clearly in a class by themselves in that division. So, um, I mean, I guess as long as you're not facing those two teams and if you're one of the other three, then you're only get to, you only get to face the other two teams. But yeah, it's regardless the AL East is not, it's not terribly tough or it's not as tough as it was. Uh, but I mean, Toronto does have a beastly offense as long as most of their guys are healthy. Um, some tough ballparks to hit in. We know on any particular day, Boston can really put together some offense, et cetera. I mean, it's, it's still, it, it, it ultimately, it's like you couldn't ask for, I don't think you could have asked for McCarthy to go to a much worse situation in hoping that his numbers, I guess, could see this turnaround. And Eno wrote a piece on McCarthy about a month ago saying basically that uh, the types of pitches that McCarthy, I mean, McCarthy throws, it's a, is it, it's a sinker or a splitter. I, I, I can never remember which it is, but uh, and he, he throws change up, 
and just the, the types of stuff that he throws, the type of the type of stuff that he throws, uh, combined with the splits on those pitches um, versus left-handed batters versus right-handed batters, like the counts and stuff that he throws, he's in. He just it's not really even sequences. It's just he is um, he is not he is he just doesn't put himself in position. I mean, he's he's basically leaving a bunch of meatballs up there. A, a couple of his pitches kind of look similar. Uh, even the, and uh, so the breaks on him. I mean, as long as guys are picking up uh, what he's throwing, um, and if they're identifying it closely, they can. I mean, this is this is why the guy's been bad, uh, battered on occasion in a lot of his starts, and that's what it is because he's not walking a lot of guys. He just like he, this is not a pitcher you can say he's going to see a huge turnaround in his bab up against. Um, it should get better because I don't think anybody can be thrashed that often, but I think right. just the combination of these things, and even if the home run rate gets better and the BABIP against him gets better, how much better is it going to be? It's really hard to say that it is, but the only thing that I will say is uh, if moving to the Yankees and uh, their pitching coach, whose name escapes me at the moment, I mean, he's he's not to say that he works magic because it certainly depends on the pitcher, but you know maybe he kind of uh, figures out some things that I, I, I don't I'm not, I don't have a great deal of faith in, in Arizona's coaching staff, period. So there may be something that they noticed and, and they say, hey, this is something we notice that you throw this pitch uh, all the time when you're behind a left-handed hitter or something like that. Let's try to change something. Where they just they say, look, we're going to change your plane of attack a little bit here uh, and maybe this will just get you better maybe it's something. Maybe it's something like uh, John Axford last year where, the, where Brendan McCarthy's been tipping his meatballs uh, yeah. and, and the Yankees <laughs> sit down and say, hey, You've been tipping your pitches, and here's how you've been tipping your pitches, and this is how we're going to fix you. Yeah, uh, maybe it's something like I. In all seriousness, I don't see any gain here yeah. at all because even, the, even the high if that ball rate against that bad infield, I don't like it. Yeah, even if that happens, like we're not. It's hard to it's hard to project pure turnaround uh, fantasy gold here. I think this is the, is the big thing. Is like. I mean, that would have to be that would have to be some significant findings that the Yankees make just because the you know the what he's facing and even then it's 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 going to be a difficult mountain to climb but uh you know it's it's don't dismiss all hope i mean i, I still think he deserves a bid in a in an a only in an a only league uh i don't think there's i mean there's certainly the possibility that you strike gold there but i wouldn't put a great deal of faith in it and my last little question is you know what do you think of Nuno now that he moves to the American or the National League and the only the only I would be a little more excited again if it, if if this pitcher went somewhere besides Arizona. Uh, to quote our good friend Doug Dennis of Baseball HQ, he sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I, no, Nuno's terrible. You're just watching pitches to a guy who absolutely has to live on the fringes of the zone. He's just terrible. And, and I don't know if this move does any better and uh that's it. I mean, he's an arm that Arizona's going to throw in the rotation. But as an NL only person, if I if I were in one of these uh, old school tough love leagues where I just lost Brandon McCarthy and his ninety three strikeouts and and three wins, I'll go pick up a middle reliever. I don't want to touch. I don't want to touch Nuno. He's terrible. Yeah, he's he's been okay in a couple of his recent starts and been not so okay. Uh, totally blasted in a few others. I mean, it's just he's a he's a guy who lives basically on location and uh, has nothing special. So it's 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 not a pretty situation, um, and I think basically there's no better way to segue now into this is we have to give this. Uh, hopefully, maybe we can get another one, uh, something like this, like this uh, to, for you to do in future episodes. But for now, uh, this will be kind of the 
Jason Collette's soapbox uh, and go on wide crossover trades and mono leagues. Uh, the owners who lose those players, the, well, the owners should not be forced to lose those players because they are moved to a different league. And go. I mean, fantasy ba- <laughs> fantasy baseball is is predicated on trying to replicate what it's like to run a real baseball team. Agreed or disagree? Uh, I mean, I think that's kind of the general sense. I mean, I think that the, that's we, what you know, we want. On, we want a game right? to play that is, that, and, and in part, kind of gives us that feeling. I don't think it, it's necessary. I mean, that's something I think you can you can get into about like the nature of certain types of categories and thing like that. Things like that, like. Ultimately, but yeah, ultimately we still kind of want to play the pseudo GM and we want to, we want to be a little, we want to prove that we're a little smarter than our friends about baseball and things like that. Yes. All right. So it's pretty, but the, the game itself was predicated on trying to replicate what the game, what baseball is like. Um, So when you look at leagues that the crossover trade, so an NL guy goes trading the AL and you lose him, lose that player. What does that mimic in real life baseball? Uh, an injury. <laughs> okay, that's well, that's basically it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's... but we have we have injuries already. Yes, and yeah, that's what I've in people that I've argued because I've I've played under these rules in my home league. I've never really cared for them, uh, and I've I lost Zach Grinky a couple of years ago. I have David Price in the AL. I'm sure I'm going to lose him too. I I don't care for it, but it. You know, to me, the best defense that I've ever heard was, well, this is the way we've always done it. And in life and in business, if that's your best defense, then it's a terrible policy yes. because you know, everything has to be changed in somewhat. And you know, I'm, I'm, I actually sit on the, the, the commissioner role as a triumvirate in these leagues, and I'm one of the three. And I've been vocal about how pissed off I am about it because it doesn't have to be this way. And I'm like – you know, change gets forced, and it, you know, the, the other two don't want it, and that's how league. That's how the rules. The three people vote on it. I was outvoted two for one, so I quit. Uh, but it's it, for me. If I'm spending money, if I want to spend money in leagues with that kind of chance, I'll just go play the lottery. I got better odds there. But I, I don't see why you have to lose a player and not get anything in compensation, but a discounted fab. I'm getting six dollars in fab back. For losing Jason Hamill, who is a $21 player right now, the, what he's produced to date, I'm getting $6 fab back and that's it. Uh, you know, some of these guys are like, well, it's not a mixed league. It's an only league. Okay, but we count statistics from interleague play games. When NL teams are playing AL teams, when the NL guys get to play DH, you know, something they don't. So it's, I don't understand it. And I talk, I thought, you know, if maybe I'm being a little irrational, I, I reached out to, uh, Ron Chandler. I want to talk with Ron because you know, when they set up talent and labor, labor used to be a tough luck format, and, yeah. and they actually got rid of it because he told me that they, they finally did a change the year after John Hunt lost out on a major player getting traded across leagues. Because what they used to do is, um, in, in talk with him, he said, uh, in the first year of talent, we allowed owners to keep players traded out of our league, but did not allow access to new players coming over. It, they see, he said it was fair, but it was boring, and teams had a little on uh, had little on which to spend their free agent budget. Uh, he said the following year we opened it up, provided access to new crossover players, and it's been that way ever since. We've had a few pro con discussions over the years, but it always came down to traditionalists arguing that closing a door to crossover talent was the way we have always done it. Hence, 
my point earlier. He goes, as an aside, Labor stuck to the tough luck format for many years, despite a strong undercurrent among owners to change. They finally did it the year John Hunt got screwed over. He said, in short, we didn't think tout should be penalized for the decisions of major league ball clubs that were out of their control. There was enough of that with, you know, your pitcher losing wins because the bullpen gets in the play and everything else. And so, and that's, I remember he, he wrote a long article about it a couple of years ago. Couldn't find the exact link to it, but that's what I remember the discussion coming down to is like especially in, in the expert league level you're, you're trying to demonstrate who's got the best skill not who has the best there's already enough luck in fantasy baseball if your guy you know if if brandon mccarthy goes all year and doesn't get hurt that's luck you know because he's always breaking down uh, those kind of things so this it's unnecessary it's an unnecessary complication of things because in a dynasty keeper league in this league's we're already losing guys in the offseason. So let's say, you know, the Prince Fielder for Ian Kinsler. Let's pretend that Ian Kinsler was a $10 player and he played for the, you know, the Atlanta Braves and he got traded to Detroit. The guy loses him. He loses him for nothing, but that's the offseason. That's one thing. It's not affecting anything in season. In this particular league. You have an opportunity to, to replace him in a draft exactly. scenario. It's a totally different. Exactly, and uh, you know, so I have I have some I have some fab left. What if nobody does get traded over? What am I supposed to do? I have to go out and make a I have I have to go out and make a trade. But it, you know, when you look at you know what you need to do for it's just an unnecessary complication. We're talking about in the end maybe ten players that'll be in an AL in an AL team that started the season in NL or vice versa. Maybe ten at the most. You go back and look at it. There tends not to be that many big crossover deals. So we're talking about 10 players. That's one per team in this 10-league format. I just don't – again, it boils down to the fact that if it, if it, your best defense is this is the way we've always done it, then that's a bad policy. It's something that could be evolved. There's nothing that's rock solid. Now, I'm – you know, I'm more of a traditionalist in, in the five by five format. Although I am, I, I do like playing on base percentage rather than the batting average. I, I have enjoyed that switch in tout this year. My home leagues are, are still the five, the traditional five by five. I'm not a big fan of the six by six, the seven by seven crap. Uh, you and I both play in different uh, FSWA leagues. I do like that format. That one yeah. is uh, we have on base and slugging instead of uh, instead of batting oh. average and home runs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have quality starts instead of wins, and I freaking love that. I yeah. mean, I hate wins. I wish Tout would go to that, too, uh, and Labor. Because I'm a huge fan of the quality starts. What I'm not a huge fan is the limitations, because I only have 42 starts left in my FSWA league this year. Uh, so I need to start swapping relievers uh, relievers <laughs> in for uh, starters, because i I got to really pick my starts now, because they lock my pitching stats if I exceed it. So I really have to do a, a daily, very close watch of the, uh, on those kind of things. But I, I So there, I'm cool with it. It's also... But, also time to you should probably like any of your kind of lower end like but if you have a if you have a pretty good pitching staff it's a good idea probably to deal some yeah. of them now yeah no no doubt i mean the other the last point i wanted to make is you know again the best defense is this is the way we've always done it or the other one i've heard is it, it, it if we know a guy's going to get traded like a samarja this year it suppresses his value at his draft day value why should that be? You know, why should that even come into factor? How much is that really going to suppress his draft day value? Three, four dollars, five dollars, maybe. Draft day value should be about production. It shouldn't be about maybe this guy's going to get traded on July thirty first. Maybe he's going to get traded during the August waiver time. Your value when you do your projections, it's about what you project that guy to do for two thousand fourteen. 
period. That you're not trying to project will or won't he get traded. You can, you know, pretty decently understand that, you know, if you're going to draft Brandon McCarthy, he's going to spend a time or two on the disabled list. You know this. You know that Jed Lowry is going to find some time on the disabled list. You know that certain guys are going to hit the disabled list because they have that track record. You can't predict the whim of a GM. I mean, nobody saw Adrian Gonzalez getting traded from Boston a year after he signed the contract. Nobody saw Carl Crawford getting traded like that. You know, you don't project Will Myers just going away for James Shields over the offseason. You know, these are things, it's just an, an unnecessary complication and the resistance to change. It's the only, at the national level, it's like everybody, they've moved on. But it seems like some of these home leagues, I talked to another guy who's been in a, a 25-year league, and he has the tough love policy, and all of his owners love it. They're big fans of, of the tough love policy. And, but it's a very old school league. We're also talking about somebody who's 15 years older than me, and I'm 41. So <laughs> these are some old guys that have done that. that so the, this is the way we've always done it. That's going to be big with them. But, you know, this the, these home leagues, I'm in the middle of the pack with H. So this isn't something where... I'm just surprised that this much, there's this much resistance. So there seems to be a 50-50 split with the owners, but it's a two-to-one uh, minority for me with the with the rules committee. It doesn't. It's not even going to come to the table. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think what it ultimately like. I mean, uh, I could not agree more, and um, you will not find anybody who agrees more, even though it's possible that plenty of people will agree equally with the. Uh, because I've heard that enough in my life. Uh, this is the way we've always done it. <laughs> I, I've, I've definitely grown more than tired of, of that excuse. I mean, it, you can go back to the history of man and for any time that that has been offered, uh, you can talk about some true atrocities that have occurred simply because that's kind of been the justification for it. So uh, to say that, but I mean, obviously we're talking about something that is, you know, in rel relative speaking, a lot more trivial, but ultimately it's a game to... To me, when you play a game, um, I mean, I kind of equate like to uh, when you think about like the luck involved in fantasy football, a lot of people love that. Um, a lot of people love the luck of the outcome, you know, every week and then at the end of a season that they don't care that, the you know, the, the team with the second fewest points ends up with the best record or something like that. Fantasy football sucks. Right. And that's that's kind of <laughs> why I that's kind of why I dislike it a good bit more as well. I mean, I. I I play it still, but you know, like I also, well, I, I also play it joke around with everybody, but it right. sucks. I hate it. Right. I don't like that. I, I, I play in a rotisserie football league because I like that a lot more. Like, and that's, that's highly unusual, but it's, it's, it's a lot more fun. It's a true, it, ultimately, if you're really interested in the competition, you're more interested in a true test of skill. And that's, I mean, that's, I mean, it's, I guess part of it is going to depend really on what you want from it. I mean, it's it's up to the guys in the league. I think that there's, I mean, ultimately, if, if that's you know if that's really what they, they all want, but you know they have to they you know everybody just has to kind of live with the fact that that's not uh, that you may lose some people. But it, it's it's kind of silly, like if, um, like to to use things such as like, well, that's you know that that can detract from Samarja's draft value going in. But there are so many players, like it's it's kind of like it's. It, it does have a kind of a bit of a parallel with injuries because we, you always end up losing players to injury that you never that you didn't really expect. These guys who have never been hurt for years, and then all of a sudden, bam, and they're out for the rest of the season. Such so I guess like a Prince Fielder might be a good example, um, but like the point is is that we like to eliminate 
that kind of thing because we want like the more predictability like we don't want to be able to predict the we don't want to want to actually predict the numbers but like <laughs> i i guess there's like a the the uh the unpredictable the truly unpredictable events that are just uh course changing i mean those are those are not really fun except for like the people who are just truly mad about it mad about in the crazy sense like love that oh man that totally threw us for a loop and now uh it's cool i have a chance to get back in this and all that stuff i mean that's i get you know that's kind of fun for someone but i think like for the for the person who who bought these players and is proof you know he's kind of on course to kind of proving that he you know he kind of knew some things and i mean if you know ahead of time that the that this rule is in place uh i mean there's there's certainly some level of obviously, I mean, you, you know that this is a possibility that you're going to have to deal with, but there are so many other players, like you said, who, who will come up in this situation, uh, who are trade bait, who you wouldn't have expected to be. And I think sooner or later, like those for, for, for players who were in it for the, the ability to evaluate their skills as far as uh, prognostication goes and things like that, who, who are really, in, and just who look at, is it more of a game of skill and, and, and enjoy um, the, the the true competitive competitive nature of it, and not just like I think uh, having a lot of luck involved. That's gonna that's gr- truly gonna grate them, and I, so that's why that's why it's totally understandable that you do. And may, maybe it's like you said, if this is a case of where it's it's a lot of your college buddies, and uh, maybe it's not maybe it's just not quite as important to them um, in that sense. But I don't I don't know. Obviously, you know them a lot better than I do, but. Uh, I mean, they tend to. It, it, it took me five years to get them to drop the DH position in the AL only league. They had to like have like specifically, you could have a DH. You had to draft somebody that had played at least twenty games as a DH. Interesting. It took me five years to of uh, bitching and moaning about that. <laughs> so, it, it, yeah. I mean, it could be. You know, it just sounds like it's a lot of resistance to change, and um, I mean, it's unfortunate. I mean, yeah, I. I I think in the end, like to me, leagues are always like as long as everyone's happy with it, but it's not it doesn't necessarily have to be that, you know, I have to like it or that I want to play in the league or want to play in the league anymore. I think that's I mean, that's ultimately what it boils down to. But it's just kind of it, it seems like such a silly thing that um, just in general, I'm glad that, for instance, most leagues don't really subscribe to that uh, as a rule anymore because it just it sucks. Like you said, it just there's no there's no real better reason other than the 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 absolute curveball it throws and, and the luck that is the, that becomes involved. Yeah, I'll admit I've been, I've been the beneficiary of, of winning that league. I've, I've finished in the money six times in this league. I've won it three times. I'm sure that I've been the beneficiary in some of those times where the guy behind me lost somebody and I didn't, but you know, it shouldn't have to be that way. I w- I'd rather lose by a point or two to somebody who got to keep the roster all year and not win because that guy lost the key cog of their uh, their team on a July 15th trade or some waiver uh, crap that came out of nowhere. All of a sudden, you're like, whoa, that guy went? Are you kidding me? Uh, you know, one of those kind of things down the stretch. So it, I would just, for the integrity purposes, I'd rather beat somebody on skill and not by luck. There's enough luck that you can't control in this game uh, whether it be injury, uh, or like uh, Prince Field, or most of it, most of it's injury, or, or your 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 guy like Homer Bailey the other day throwing nine uh, innings, one run ball, and losing one nothing. You know those kind of things. There's enough bad luck there that you just kind of say, you know what, whatever. That's baseball. But a guy getting traded out, you're creating this problem. This problem's easily fixable. Right. That's 
Yeah, that's something you can easily do something about. Like you said, I think it's it's easily fixable. It's not really. It I guess it just it's a question of what does it add to the game or what does it take away from the game? What's more important to the people who are in it and you know are they resistant to change? And it sounds like I mean, sounds like they are. And you know, for no other sake than just is that that's the way it's been. And you know, so it doesn't sound like it's it's the league for you anymore. <laughs> unfortunately for at least for you and your buddies well i gotta i mean to, honestly to me i i have two things that when i'm looking for a new league i don't want a veto rule in place and i don't if i'm in it i i do enjoy the single league format so i definitely want to find and i want to find at least another nl because at least i have tout and uh, that al perspective but i would like to find uh, a, uh an nl league where vetoes aren't in play because i don't want to play with people that want to run my team uh, and secondly, I don't want to play in a league if if it's tough luck, the tough luck format. I mean, those to me, they're they're on an equal plane for me. And anybody who's listened to this podcast, listen to me talk on the old uh, the podcast with Paul Sport, you know how much I hate vetoes. Mm. And I, I I can certainly understand that as a person. I used to commission a league that were, where we had vetoes, and I quickly understood why uh, why we shouldn't have had them. And even I was an, I was a huge proponent of them at the time, and then. And this is this was this is over a decade ago. So I've I've quickly learned that it's just um, people people are going to vote for in their own interest. That has really nothing to do with their evaluation of a trade. So, <laughs> um, well, that that and to me, it's a matter of trust. Right. If you think if vetoes come down to collusion, if you think I colluded, I don't want to play with you. Yeah, there's that too. I think I mean, but um, I think like you can get into if you don't know the the people that will i mean there's i think that there's there's a lot of gray area with that because there's a, i mean if that's you know there's a potential for the you know if you're taking that personally but i just think ultimately like, i mean just yeah if if um you know pretty much that's you know that's how people vote in any kind of anytime they have an opportunity to vote most people vote with their with their with their personal interests first and oh, foremost yeah. in mind and that's so there's just there's really there's like that pretty much throws fairness out the window because they are just going to vote down a trade based on how it affects their teams. That's why, and I, not, don't do public, that's why right. I don't do public leagues. Right. So, uh, I mean, uh, you know, we could, I'm sure we could talk about trades for, um, for the rest of the show and, and a couple more after that. But do you want to get to some, some real quick, some other, some other baseball news, uh, particularly just a few pitchers are on the way back. Bud Norris with a strained groin. Sounds like he's going to be back in the rotation on Wednesday, barring. Yay, I get to see him pitch live. <laughs> I'm going to be there on Wednesday. Very nice. Is it, That is against. Uh, Nationals. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be in town for that. And I'm uh, going to the game with uh, Mike Farron from XM and uh, uh, another guy. But I get to go. It's nice that it worked out like that. So I can get to go. To, I get to go there this year, this month. And I'm going to Milwaukee later this month for a game. Very cool, very cool. And um, O's rotation has been, as you know, you talked about, like the rotation is not certainly the strength of this team. But Norris has actually been um, one of the strongest pitchers for this team. With a uh, he's the only sub, he's the only sub four ERA in the staff. Correct. And uh, I mean his, I mean his numbers kind of lend to it, except for the strikeout rate, which I mean the walk rate is, uh, I mean seven, it's under eight percent for the first time in. At the majors, you know, uh, in the majors, I think is uh, and only a seventeen percent strikeout rate. Um, not real inspiring. There uh, has had what you might call a great deal of fortune in the batting average on balls and play against him department. 
But, you know, my only question is, is uh, this is a guy I really I had a, a great deal of discount for his performance. Um, this this stri- strikes me as the kind of thing where now that he's had this break, there's going to be something a little off and he gets hammered a few times. And I wouldn't mind seeing that because <laughs> <laughs> well, I, mean, I agree. I, I mean, you, you mentioned that the Babbitt fortune, we're talking about a guy who's Babbitt. Over the last couple of years, 318, 318, 299, 306, 337, then 254 this year. Some of that's going to be due to the way the Orioles run the shifts, and they run a lot of shifts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's going to be a big thing for him. So that's going to help. But he was on this team last year that ran a lot of shifts. And, and look where things were at. You mentioned the strikeout rate is down for a third straight year. His walk rate's pretty much the same. His home run rate's pretty much right in line. Any improvement that we're seeing here, honestly, is just BABIP-related. If it, if it goes back to where it was, then he's a plus-four guy, and his whip's going to sky. I mean, Bud Norris has never had a 1.16 whip, and the, the 3.62 ERA is close to where, uh, you know, 2011 when he was 3.77. But we're talking about a guy whose whip is annually three, 1.32 or higher, and all of a sudden he's got 1.16, and he really hasn't made much of a change in the way he does things. That's yes. You know, yeah. sometimes you see a, it's a process change, like we mentioned earlier with with Hamill and one of those kind of things. But you know, the only thing that's a little different for him this year that I'll, you know that we have to give him some credit for is just the way that he's handling opposite-handed guys. We look at lefties when lefties have uh, hit him well last year. Lefties hit three fifteen, three eighty one, five oh nine off him. This year, two twenty seven, three ten, three eighty seven. So he's doing something a little bit differently there. Maybe. Yeah, and that's a big thing. But and, but the batting, yeah, the batting average of balls in play last year, 349 against lefties. This year, 237. So something, you know, I haven't really dove into it and looked to see if anything's changed or if this is just fluke. When I've seen him pitch, I really haven't seen much different. Yeah, and I think it, it, maybe he's doing something differently against left-handed hitters. But, I mean, the, the only thing I really notice is that the, the fastball velocity is up a little bit again after uh, up over the last couple of seasons, and he's throwing – Throwing a slider a little less often and throwing fastballs a little more often, but it's not like a huge difference in the split. Um, no new pitch or anything like that. Yeah, I don't see any major changes. And so um, overall, he's just been a little more, a, a bit more efficient, but uh, I don't see necessarily a reason that he's pitching so much better uh, than the performance level of any of his pe- previous seasons. And I think that there has there has to be some corrections. I think see what I can see on Wednesday. <laughs> Please let us know. Um, and I will. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, and this this kind of brings me back since since uh, Norris is going up against the Nationals. Uh, Cubs are bringing up Wada to it. Seriously, Wada, Wada, however you say mm-hmm. it. Um, and his first start for the Cubs is incidentally against the Nationals. And the Nationals, before they even had gotten going, they were hammering left-handed pitching. They were like one of the best offenses. Right. Now that now they're tearing up anybody. So. I wouldn't really want to start anybody against them right now if I could avoid it, but uh, I'll be glad to see what Boris, uh, Boris, what Norris does against the Nationals because I think that'll. I mean, that might be. It's 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 not going to be a true test in the sense. I mean, if we his first start back, he's not making a rehab turn. He's only going to basically be doing a sim game. But it'd be interesting to see how he does uh, coming out of that start. Dylan G also back from a strain lat. also expected to be back on Wednesday. It's obviously encouraging for the Mets, especially because uh, I guess uh, maybe at first they weren't, weren't clear who was going to be bumped from the rotation, but Jonathan Neese has a shoulder okay. strain, so that doesn't sound... Uh, I think that these guys will basically almost line up, so um, 
it, it, I mean, it's nice to see Dylan G to me. So, I mean, he's kind of a fringy, mixed, deep mixed league guy. But, uh, I mean, this is going to be nice to see for a guy who you know, he can get you some strikeouts. And it's going to be nice for fantasy owners to get a guy like this back. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it stinks to lose Nice, who was pitching rather well. Uh, but, G's a nice guy you could slide in. And uh, we'll see where it goes. I mean, I know there's a couple other guys that are on their way back. Uh, looks like Hellickson's going to make it back this week, thank God, because Eric Bedard sucks. Uh, <laughs> and I believe Francisco Liriano's not uh, not too far behind him, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, oh, yeah, I, I'm glad you pointed that out because I did have uh, – I thought I had Hellickson in here. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, – um, yes, I did. Okay, yeah. Uh, Hellickson comes back. He's replacing Bedard. I wanted to put. I wanted to talk about that uh, because, like you said, I mean Bedard. You know, he had a nice little run there for several starts, but this kind of reminded us all why we can't depend on him for any long period of time. Hellickson now. I mean, he was pretty much thrashed in most of his rehab appearances, and then I guess his last one was kind of satisfactory. I mean. How optimistic are you now that he's coming back? Uh, not very. I mean, I have him in tout, um, and he looked a little better in his last start than he had previously, but I'm not very optimistic. And, in fact, I don't think Bedard's going to be DFA'd. It wouldn't surprise me if Bedard just goes to the bullpen mm-hmm. and keep and they keep him around as an insurance policy. I mean, I have Hellickson for a buck in tout wars. He was one of my end game picks. I'm going to throw him in, but I'm not very confident. That's Yeah, I, I think – I mean – I was optimistic that uh, he could kind of have a, a rebound from from last season. The only thing I'm really, I guess, encouraged about is that uh, I mean, his starts at AAA, the strikeout rate and and the walk rate were were solid. I mean, uh, they're kind of respectable, sixteen percent, five percent. It's only eleven percent difference between the two, but it's, you know, some pretty good efficiency there. Um, I mean, I guess it's it's going to be a question of whether Hellickson is going to keep the you know keep the ball in the ballpark uh, and just uh, I mean how. How healthy is he? I, I mean, assume now that he's had this surgery, uh, it's it's not by any means a minor procedure, but at least it's not something like Tommy John surgery. So there shouldn't be any kind of super lengthy rehab process necessary, and that's why he's he's back in the picture. But I mean, the thing with Hellickson, though, initially they said he's going to be back uh, by June first, and here we are. He's going to pitch on July eighth. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's been it's been a while. So, but the race, I we. Talked about, you know, and I talked about this in the past. You know, this is a team that tends to be very conservative when they bring their guys back. Keep this in mind if you are a Will Myers owner and you're wondering when he's going to come back. If you hear one date, just add another two weeks to it. Yeah, I think. I mean, what's it's going to be interesting. Hellickson has been a has been a guy who is for three straight years. He basically bested his peripheral numbers by a good run, run and a half, and now. Uh, last year we saw some huge turnaround, and maybe it was. Oh, that was related. all mechanical. He was he was pure crap out of the stretch last year. Pure okay. crap. So it'd be interesting <laughs> to see if he continues to have problems like this. I mean, given the Rays' track, get the Rays' track record with uh, with helping pitchers kind of break out of funks and things like that. Maybe we could be optimistic about the long term, but there just seems to be so much going on with Hellickson that I think it's just it's a slow process, and you can't expect results right away. I, I would be. A little more excited if I could keep this guy on the bench and kind of see what happens after the All Star break, but uh, unless you're Jason Clint, in which case you don't, doesn't sound like you can you have that luxury. <laughs> uh, no, I'm I'm trying to maximize my pitching points because my offense in tout is so damn bad because of, of the injuries, losing Myers, losing 
Let's see, Smoke to the DL and now the Miners, uh, Hosmiel Pinto. Don Kelly's in my starting lineup right now. That tells you how good my offense is is in that league. Yikes. Yeah. Well, um, maybe maybe you'll get lucky and uh, Juan Francisco will heat up again. (laughs) Uh, Woohoo! Francisco Liriano, as you mentioned, I mean, he's coming back from stream to bleak. Basically, it seems like the, the Pirates could be ready to activate him. Uh, after he has a rehab appearance on Monday, and I think that he's scheduled to pitch, uh, throw around 85 pitches. And so I guess assuming that all the, that goes well, then it's just a question of um, does Liriano turn things around? I'm, a, I'm I'm kind of optimistic. I think that, uh, I mean, I think this break is kind of maybe what Liriano needed just to kind of get things back in order. But again, I mean, it's a pitcher who has kind of clearly had this every other year thing going on. And so is his, I mean, he was bound to miss some time. We all kind of knew that, but um, I think it's back to the, gets back to the McCarthy theory. Yeah. 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 I I think, you know, at the very least, like I said, I mean, maybe this is the kind of break that Liriano needed and, and uh, he pitches fairly well after the all-star break. It'd be interesting to see, but uh uh, that should be encouraging for fantasy owners. Not something I would, you know, I would be looking to get him back in my lineup right away or anything like that. As you mentioned, uh, the Edward and Carnacion thing, street quadriceps, DL now said now said to be pretty much expected. I think based on, I mean, I think the original uh, estimation, the original tweet uh, from the one of the Blue Jays beat writers said that he, you know, the Jays speculated he could be in, out anywhere from. A week and a half to three months. Obviously, that's a huge window. Clearly, they had no beat on the, the injury at the time, but um, I think that that would have that should have qualified as yeah, he was probably going on the DL right away, regardless. String quadriceps is is a, it's an interesting injury, but because I think it's one of the leg injuries to me, at least in my experience, it's a little it's a little tougher to gauge um, the 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 seriousness of it. Uh, to me, see, in August, at, at best, he's going to be back early. If he comes back in July, he's not human. I tweeted this last night. If he comes back in July, he's not human. I, I don't know. To me, this is something he's going to be gone uh, at least three weeks. Yeah. Uh, I'd be stunned if he wasn't, uh, especially with leg injuries. I mean, at least because he's in he's in the best league, and that's the American League where where there is the DH. Because that is the best league in baseball. At least he can, <laughs> at least he can DH, and so he doesn't have to play the field. So maybe that would get him back a little quicker than somebody who plays in that other garbage circuit where they make pitchers hit and they don't have a DH. <laughs> so maybe that'll that'll help a little bit. But this one, honestly, this was the worst news of the week for me in anything fantasy baseball because this is my favorite player in baseball. I was I wore my home run parrot shirt to the Charlotte Knights Stadium last night when I went to the game with my youngest brother to go check out Triple A baseball. Which is god awful, by the way. Uh, but I, I, oh man, I decided to watch it. When I watch this AAA, I'm like, man, even the worst Major League Baseball game is better than a AAA baseball game. Uh, but it was a great ballpark. It is a fantastic park, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, but I wore that shirt and that home run parrot shirt. You've seen me, tw- uh, you, if you follow me on Twitter, you've seen me use the hashtag. Uh, I've, I've been wearing the hell out of that shirt. So it just really disappoints me that my favorite player is going to be out for a while, especially in a year that he's doing uh, so well. But, uh, that's what's happening. You, yeah. you can't do anything about it. And, and again, I mean, uh, Juan Francisco had kind of lost his appeal um, for quite some time, and so this is this is this is just seems to be one of those situ. It's it's one of those types of situations where Juan Francisco, the, his team, 
be a new one, be it an old one. They say, hey, we need you to play now. We don't really have any other choice. And he's like, oh, okay. And then he turns it on and hits, you know, 400 with 10 home runs for a month or something like that. I mean, don't rule out picking him up in, in, uh, in your deeper leagues, at least. Uh, this is kind of a... In my 18-team league, I'm playing him because I was going to... You and I were talking off air before we started recording. I was going to cut him, and I looked at what was left at the third base uh, and the, at the quarter infield position. I'm like... Well, if he's going to get some playing time, maybe he'll do something. I'm just going to leave him in there because yeah. <laughs> there's really nothing else I could do. I'm looking at it going, no, I'm never picking up Nick Punto. I don't care how deep the league is. Uh, and uh, Lyle Overbay, now nah, uh, there's no upside there. I mean, maybe Francisco can run into some bombs uh, as he did a little while ago. I mean, it, it was a pumpkin. You knew it was going to blow up at some point. Uh, but that is where it's – I mean, this is the time of year, even if you look at the Yankees, you know, they, when they designated Alfonso Soriano for assignment, and that was long overdue because he looked terrible. Uh, somebody you may want to look at for the Yankees is Jose Perella. He's a guy down in AAA right now, hitting well, getting on base. Uh, not a guy with a lot of pop, but he does have some speed, gets on base and runs. Maybe, and uh, I saw that Mike Kixissa from Riv Ave, uh, River Avenue Blues had tweeted out that they had moved him over to right field within the last 10 days down in AAA, so to give him some experience there. So maybe Perella's coming up. So if you're in a deeper AL league, you can pick him up. And maybe he's a factor uh, down the line as the Yankees start trying to manufacture more runs because that team's not hitting with power right now. No, it's not. And the Carlos Beltran situation, I mean, that's uh, unless he sees signs of life from him sometime. I mean, there's there's going to be a lot of a lot of interesting developments coming out of the Yankees. Well, maybe not too interesting by the time it's all said and done. But um, based on what happens in the next month or so, uh, we should you know, we'll, we'll see some inter- we might see some really interesting players in that lineup. We've we've had some. I mean, they brought up Zealous Wheeler, who is not really anybody to be. Ex- he I think he homer on his, his first game up, but is not anybody to be excited about uh, in fantasy terms. But uh, I've received a few different questions and chats and and other things at times about um, Robert Ref Snyder, and I mean he's put up some good numbers, pretty good on base on base guy. Yeah, maybe he eventually factors in in the second half. I can't help but think, I mean, the Yankees really like Jan Hervis Solarte. I got to think that he's going to be back up. Um, oh, God, why? Why? You don't, you, don't, you don't like him? No. It was fun April while it lasted, but no, no. Uh, I mean, this is the reason why this guy spent so many years in AAA. Yeah, it was fun while it lasted, but I think he's got like a 540 OPS since May 1st. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think he's, I think there's some decent offensive makeup there, uh, but I mean, he's not by any means a, a major league regular. But uh, it'd be interesting so to see. Look at it. Oh, I was wrong. He had a 675 OPS since May 1st. Uh, he's had a 484 OPS since June 1st. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> where it is with him. So maybe you know it's recycled. You know they had their fun with Salarta. They had their fun with Dean Anna, and uh, we'll see where that where that goes from there. Yeah, we mentioned, or, or I was whining earlier about losing smoke to the disabled list and then the minors because Logan Morrison's hitting, which mm-hmm. stuns me because, you know, that's, you talk about a guy who's always hurt uh, and he's hitting right now and they just got Corey Hart back. And then I, the, the news item that kind of raised my eyebrows today was the, was the Toronto Blue Jays claiming Nolan Reimold. This yeah. is the first year in like six years I haven't owned Nolan Reimold in the league <laughs> because I finally said, okay, enough is enough. I can't. There's no. There's no water in that rock. It's not going to come out. It's yeah. not going to happen. And then Toronto gets him. I'm like, oh, really? I I, I can't go back to that. I can't go back because I I love that guy. But you want to talk about breaking down? That's him. That's what Rymold. If you translate it, that's what it means. Broken. Yes. 
Yes. Uh, I mean, Reimold is he's he's pretty much broken all the time. Naturally, uh, Toronto will claim him just like just now that he's healthy, and they're you know who knows in a week or so there may be the playing time available now that Encarnacion's already probably heads to the DL. So it's probably going to it, it's it's probably going to come back and smack you in the face, and he's going to hit like ten home, ten or twelve home runs the rest of the season. Yeah, Mike, he but he's not going to be on my roster. <laughs> and. Uh, Another injury, you know, briefly we want to touch on, Michael Bourne, strained hamstring, back to the DL. And this just kind of goes back to, and we've talked about it at various times, uh, Jason, well, Jason, I think you, you summed it up pretty well. Yeah, I mean, the Bourne thing, hamstring injury. I saw that it's the other side of the hamstring that it has been previously. So, yay, but it's still leg injury. And, Mike, you know, these things don't tend to go away. And they're a factor, especially who's a, a guy whose entire game is predicated on speed. Yeah. If he's not going to run, what the hell is Michael Bourne good for? Here's- uh, he was already not running. We already saw it before this. I mean, I think last I looked, he had, what, eight stolen bases this year? Yeah, that's actually more than I thought he had. I think he, I thought he had six. Eight or seven? Seven. seven. Uh, he has okay, se- so seven and ten attempts. Had. Seven and ten attempts. And I think that that's um, – uh, this this bows this bows pretty poorly. I mean, this is it's still even though it's in a different area, the hamstring. It's still the hamstring that he had surgically repaired in the off season, and it's not the first time that he's had a problem with it pop up this season. So, and I, again, this is also a guy who's thirty one years old, whose game is purely built on speed. His stolen base totals the last couple of years: sixty one, fifty two, sixty one, forty two, twenty three, and now seven. Yeah. I'll go on record and say there's no way in hell he's stealing twenty bases this year. I'll be stunned if he hasn't. But he, this is now the second straight season he's he's missed. He's going to miss uh, time due to a leg injury. He missed some time in 2010 as well. But in, a speedster who's got bad legs, I don't want any part of him. Yeah, that's and if, if, at twelve, honestly, in a twelve-team mixed league, if you don't have a bench, this is a guy that I'm cutting and picking up somebody else. I did that actually. I t- I kind of took uh, in in the FSWA league. So you're talking about? Uh, I mean, I cut him. I can't remember how long it's been. Maybe a month, maybe a little longer. Um, I mean, I had a couple of other speed guys. I mean, it's it's kind of the the you know the the OBP thing, the slugging thing. I mean, you can it, it's it's possible more so to have guys who are negative influences in one or the other or both categories. And he was in both uh, the OBP and slugging categories. Um, and so, but you know, as long as he could contribute in speed, he was worth keeping around. And I say that, like you know his you know his his player rater numbers or whatever say that you know he was he was a, a more than a replacement player but i'm like i don't buy it uh, and i cut him loose it, it's been at least a, a month i think but he was scooped up pretty quickly and i think that maybe folks hoping for a turnaround at least in the stolen base category but this just this just makes me this this was basically when i saw that he hit the dl it was like wow this is this is kind of really justification now that i'm glad i i dumped him like i never would have said coming in yeah but i i you know i understand that michael Bourne's value has significantly declined in in Fancy baseball, but this was a thirty dollar. This was a thirty plus dollar player. Yeah, and I mean, without the speed uh, and without the certainty of health, I mean, it's just really hard to say that he's that because and and the health is tied directly to the speed at this point. So mm-hmm. it it doesn't look good. I think for the long term, I mean, there could be some kind of renaissance season that comes back. But don't ever let you, even if that kind of thing, even if he bounces back at at some point, don't let don't let him convince you that that's the sign that this is you know. This is him getting back to it. that's that's more like that's going to be the outlier in a, in a fate in a feed rather than um, a player getting back to his previous uh, performance level. 
some other things uh, just I'll just basically mention are uh, Brandon Moss, a sprained ankle. They have an MRI coming there. Hopefully this is not anything serious. Uh, it's not Just real. saw an update on that. Uh, it came back, no structural damage. Okay, and that's good news. I mean, you know, A's may play, end up playing it safe and not want to play down. Don't really see any reason that they have to at this moment. But um, as a as a Moss owner in a league, I wouldn't mind seeing him. I mean, I, I'd be okay with it, of course. Uh and uh, but A's are on a roll for the most part. They're in great shape. They have they just made some pitching additions. I hear so I don't think that they have to be as worried about the offense. You know. Anyway, I, I, it's glad it's not anything serious. Um, Garrett Cole just coming. I mean, he's only been back for a couple of weeks and now has, may have suffered a strained lat on Friday. Haven't seen an update since. Been waiting for that actually. Uh, and. Don't know that this is serious, but anytime you get something kind of in the back, I mean, that's kind of related to the shoulder. Uh, that's what he had was that shoulder fatigue before. The only reason I wanted to even mention it is because, I mean, they no update. They don't know that it's serious. I, my impression is that it's not serious, but because it's tied to that, I mean, this might be another case where I still think that this guy is going to finish the season strong. I still believe that. But uh, I think Pittsburgh, based on where they are, uh, probably not a bad idea just to put him down and let him – make sure that he's fully recovered from that situation. Uh, and I think this shocks no one that Jaime Garcia is going to need surgery on his shoulder. Stunned, <laughs> I tell you. I'm stunned. I just basically want to say that because it's easy to make a joke about. But it is interesting. He's he's having surgery to relieve thoracic outlet syndrome, which is that kind of remove a rib type thing, relieve nerve pressure and all that stuff. And totally different scenario and who knows maybe that's you know what fixes the thing we've seen some guys come back from that and pitch well so we've also some seen guys some guys never come back from it exactly so there's it, it sounds like if you were a Jaime Garcia fan you had his jersey it's probably time to uh take it to the flea market yeah <clears throat> and uh any real uh, major news otherwise has been that uh the Giants kind of officially named Santiago Casilla their closer in the interim kind of while Sergio Romo is is deposed. Uh, we talked about Sergio Romo at length on the Tuesday cast um, before Jason got a real chance to comment. Uh, but kind of, you know, convinced me it doesn't seem to be. Uh, I, he's convinced me that there's a you know long run. Say you know say maybe by after the All Star break, if not sooner. He said you know it wouldn't surprise me if in a week or two Romo was back in the closer's role. But yeah, I, I think that it could be easily a case where Romo is back in the closer's role, but it's going to be interesting to see how the situation breaks down. Uh, any, any, any lovely insights on the Giants' closer situation? Yeah, I mean, you could look at it from a skills level with with Romo comparing last season to this season. He actually has a lower opponent's batting average. His on base, his opponent's on base percentage is still below three hundred. His slugging percentage is up a bit because of the home runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and, but the home run, he's already allowed seven this year uh, after previously never allowing any more than six in a season. That's really it. You just that's where that's where the unfortunate come from. A seventeen percent home run to fly ball rate for a guy that's only been above ten once uh, in the previous season. So this it does seem like a short term thing because. Everything else looks good. Uh, you just look across the board. It's like it's pretty much the same guy. The only difference is obviously you, know, you look back at 2011 when he struck out 40% of the batters he faced with that uh, with that slider and all of the sliders that he's thrown. His strikeout rate is down for a fourth straight season. But 
he's still effective here. He's just not the the elite, the guy that he was in 2011 with a 458 opponent's OPS and the 40% strikeout rate. 7-11 and 20%, that's still good. I mean, there's still mm-hmm. a few teams that would take that in their bullpen right now. Uh, but and sometimes you see these guys get these reset. I mean, this isn't a John Axford situation where you're taking a guy out because he can't throw strikes. I mean, this is just a matter of take him out. I think Romo, I agree with you, you know, that Romo will be back in the situation here soon enough. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like that. And, and really, uh, you know, pointed out that the, it's the, it's the change-ups. I mean, he's thrown some more change-ups this year, but other than that, I mean, that, maybe that's kind of accounting for uh, some of he the He tried hunts, to do but. that. He tried to do that in spring. You, you'll recall back in spring training, he mm-hmm. put the slider in his back pocket. He was all fastball and change-up because he was trying to evolve. Yeah, yeah, and... Yeah, maybe that's just you – know, this is kind of like uh, – and, and also, like you said, he's been effective and the strikeout rate is down, things like that. But the velocity of, not, uh, of any of his pitches, none of that is really down. It's, it's not down at all. So there's not – even though this is a pitcher who's had health problems in the past, none of this says besides the results that health is an issue. I mean like um, a number of the other numbers say that there's nothing really anything wrong. Maybe he's just he's, – he's, he's just in a major funk and uh, – think that there's there's definitely reason to be optimistic but uh, i mean i think it's encouraging casilla has the stuff to do the job he's done it before um he's not going to be you know he's he's not going to wow you with strikeouts or anything like that he gets a lot of ground balls and the giants have a decent defense so yes definitely not a bad band-aid for them um already talking already mentioned the smoke situation how do you do uh this Seattle is it's a team that is uh I mean obviously they're in I think uh heard earlier today if 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 the playoffs yes. began if the if the regular season ended today they'd be in the playoffs um still still cannot wrap my head around that <laughs> basically just begs the question I mean now that I mean they they've made their decision uh cuz smoke was scheduled to come back and he it's another it's just it's another year where he got off to kind of a hot start and we're talking two or three weeks and then since then it's been awful is this the end of the smoke train? Uh, could be. I mean, he is what he is. Uh, there's, there's limitations for him. You look at their roster. I, I don't see how this, where there's a future for him. Yeah. You've got Corey Hart uh, to the deal, the two-year deal that you gave him. Uh, you've got Morrison who you traded uh, traded for, even if he can't stay healthy. But you look at the roster construction here, you really don't see a clear path uh, for smoke. They lost today in a tough one nothing losses. Hector Noesi, the guy they released last month, came back to bite them, along with Sir Camp and Jake Patrika, uh, shut them down on a one nothing game as the Mariners went 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position today. Uh, that's never a good thing. <laughs> and, but, yeah, I, I don't see where this uh, where he comes into play, and I think he's a safe cut in all league formats. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's kind of a shame because this was a guy who was, you know, once uh, touted to be one of the best prospects in baseball, hitting prospects and, and – People were freaking out when the Rangers gave him up for three months of Cliff Lee. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out they knew something that we didn't or something. But, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't look pretty. I think it, it just makes me wonder. I think, um, I mean, Seattle seemed to be committed to him coming into the season, and they also seem to have trouble committing to a decision. I mean, they, it's, it seems like they missed their window of opportunity to deal smoke in the offseason. Uh, yes, because there, I agree. Were, there were still some franchises that might have said, you know what, we think that there's a bit of a turnaround possible. And there still may be. But at this point, what is anybody going to give you for him uh, of any significant type of value just to take that chance? And I don't think there's really much of anybody who's going to do that with 
uh, when now that he's been in this situation and has he's struggled and has probably been even worse. Or he's been, he's certainly been no better. I mean, his batting average is under two hundred again this season. So uh, it's not, it's kind but of a shame. So good in spring training, I don't understand how this happened. <laughs> exactly. So uh, we, now we enter everybody's favorite, and by that I mean everybody is Jason' favorite portion of the program. Let's uh, let's take a look at some two-term pitchers and see uh, who stands out. Uh, uh, as, as in a, the American League, there's a lot of bad ones. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting ones. You know, I'd be interested to see uh, Justin Verlander showing some signs of turning things around. Wouldn't wouldn't want. Yeah, anytime these AL guys take on an NL team, I think in general that matchup seems to favor them because, like you said, the American League is just cooler than the National League. Well, it's not exactly how you put it, but I'm going to say it that way. Uh, it, and I think that he could certainly pitch well enough to get around the Dodgers, and Casey is kind of sunk, sunken back into a bit of a funk. And, uh, it right. could be a decent. I, I'll be interested to see how this two-star two week turns out. I'm actually I, I'm, I'm willing to throw a Verlander for a two-star week. Here and I, I agree with that. I'll, I'll, Tyler Skaggs is the guy that stood out to me against Toronto with Encarnacion out of the lineup and mm-hmm. uh, against Texas. Uh, it's a weak Texas team. Texas. Yeah, it's a weak Texas team. I really like that. I mean, to me, that one's the best. You look at all the different two starts. I mean, there's some other good guys. I mean, having Darvish going twice, once against Houston, who he always does well against, the other against the Angels, which is a hit and miss situation. Uh, but I like. I really like the Skags. There's several ones that I hate. Uh, obviously, Phil Hughes at Seattle and at Colorado, I want absolutely no part of. Mm. And Phil Hughes has been pitching uh, poorly the last couple of, uh, of days. The other one that stood out to me, that uh, Jesse Chavez has struggled lately. He's got the Giants and he's got the, the Mariners. I The uh, Odorizzi, he's pitching. Odorizzi has... Kansas City against James Shields, which is going to be tough, uh, and then at, at Toronto, uh, who he's had some issues with. Didn't really like that. I mean, if you're looking for – honestly, the other one I kind of looked at is really sneaky is Brad Peacock uh, at Texas and then Boston. Neither of those teams are hitting well. Mm-hmm. And I may take in an AL league if I need two starts. I may look at that. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, the, and the Hughes, that's, the Hughes one is definitely scary. Um, that's really the only one I, I – uh... I'd be interested to see. Um, I I kind of feel like Trevor Bauer needs to start. I want to start. I want to start seeing some better results from him. And he has two starts at home this week uh, against the kind of slow Yankees and White Sox team that is basically nothing without unless Jose Abreu does something. So, right. Um, this could be an interesting two-star week for him at home. Uh, anybody? Anybody tickle your pickle in the National League? Um, I like. The matchups for Willie Peralta with the Phillies and the Cardinals, both starts at home. I like that one a lot. Uh, Nothing comes better than Johnny Cueto with the Cubs and the Pirates. You really can't (laughs) ask for anything better than that. That's going to be a nice, sweet matchup. Mike Miner's got the Mets and the Cubs. That's a good one. I thought there's a really nice situation uh, setups here in the National League. Those are just a couple that I, Jake, I look at and say, yeah, I like. Similar as Jacob DeGrom, too, starts at home against Atlanta, who occasionally strikes out quite often. And Miami on the road is just not nearly as good. Right. So that should be that that could be an interesting one. I guess you could say the same about Dice K, but anyway. <laughs> I'm trying to look at guys, you know, matchups where I don't want any part of it. I mean, Tyson Ross at Colorado and then at Los Angeles against Ryu, that may be one where, you know, coming off the nice start that Ross had, go ahead and take a seat, kid. I'll use you next week. Um, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, uh, I won't say where, I, but the, the, this two-start list, the Mike Miner one, it 
came up at the end of it as kind of a you know don't be wary of using this guy and he's been he's been rough in the last couple of starts last few starts uh, we know that the, and there's nothing really that stands out i mean think uh uh, there were there was a nice piece on Rotographs earlier this week saying that uh, it's not really time to worry about Miner. I mean, I think that if folks, uh, I mean, I think that to me, Miner's the type of pitcher. He's uh, he's not quite as good as he pitched last season, um, but um, and I think it's interesting the matchups, both matchups. He's on the road, so obviously that doesn't sound like it's great. But these are not opponents that worry me in any particular way, other than the Cubs have hit left-handers especially well. Yeah, uh, but. Um, I don't know. Would you would you be worried about this two start week for a minor? No, I actually this would be one of the chances I would take with him. I, I look at it and say, you know what? I know he's had his troubles, but with Just, those matchups, I'll go ahead and take a shot. Yeah, yeah. I br- I bring it up only because I've seen. I mean, I've combined with the concern I've seen about him, and just uh, I mean, it's, it's uh, to see it highlighted as saying like this is a you know I I'd be willing to sit uh, you know several places i'm sure actually probably you know I, i'd be i'd be wary of starting minor in this two-star week and uh i mean i have him in in 15 team mixed league tout wars i'm gonna throw him out there i mean in part because i could use the innings but uh you know it's like a, a, if if i have mike minor and i have and he's going against the mets and the cubs and and i gotta sit him in that week then what good am i even why, why do i even have him <laughs> i gotta yeah. i gotta think that i can at least break even in that so I'm willing to see how that goes. We'll see. Well, it's been a fantastic episode, if I do say so myself. Uh, I think it's it's primarily because Jason Collette is back in the saddle uh, with us on Sundays. It's been fantastic to have you back. We're, I think I can I can say on behalf of the listeners that uh, it's fantastic to hear that you have your move is completed and uh, a lot of certainly not all of but a lot of the hard work is behind you now. Yeah, you might want to come hang pictures in my house. That's really, uh, you know, hanging pictures around the house is, is my next step. Uh, my my man cave here uh, is a bit messy. I'm looking at uh, 10 starting lineup figures that are still in their boxes. So if anybody has uh, any values on uh, 1995 extended Alex Rodriguez, uh, I got Randy Johnson, a couple of Kirby Puckets, a Bob Feller, uh, what do I got? Babe Ruth, two Akeem Olajuwans, uh, Dexter Manley. Uh, and uh, Clyde Drexler. Those are the 10 I have, but I have my baseball cards. I've been, this house, I have more room to do my catalogs uh, of the cards. My other house, I simply ran out of room once we had kids. So the, that's been, that project's been on hold. So I'm looking forward to doing that, but I have to get rid of uh, some of this stuff, especially cardboard boxes. I'm trying, I have probably $500 worth of boxes and packing materials I'm trying to sell on Craigslist for $100 just so I can get rid of it. There's way too much here. I just don't want to throw it away, but I'm trying to recoup some of these moving costs from it. Uh, well, well, since uh, since you mentioned the Alex Rodriguez starting lineup figure, um, that's from it was from 1995. Um, it, I might be interested, but that's only if you later purchased the syringe expansion pack. Yeah, no kidding. But that, that's a league, <laughs> that's a league approved. That's a league approved syringe expansion pack. Okay, okay. So we might you have got to a waiver talk. for it. He's good. Okay. Excellent. Thank you all for joining us once again uh, for the sleeper on the bus. This has been episode number 138, and we wish our listeners uh, some fantastic luck this week, and we hope to talk more. Hope you all had a a safe and happy 4th of July, and we hope to be talking some more success uh, later this week and next Sunday. Thanks again. Boom.